I'm Ryan O'Hare. This is Pod Academy. I'm trying to justify to yourself that you, you could possibly take it very sporadically, but yeah, there's a lot of mental trickery going on. There isn't really, at the moment, any long-term treatment that you receive and then stop taking and uh, you're cured. When someone has collapsed all their problems into one, to the exclusion and detriment of everything else in their lives, that's addiction. We need to think of addiction much more as a chronic disorder, so it's more like treating diabetes or hypertension rather than some short-term uh, disease. When it comes to drug and alcohol addiction, the numbers speak for themselves. With £800 million a year being spent on drug treatment and recovery services in the UK alone, it's estimated that one in five of us have experienced addiction or know someone who has. Although there are a number of treatments to try and tackle the problem in the short term, such as chemical replacements and abstinence and psychological therapies for the dependents, relapse in the long term is still a problem. There's a bit of a, a kind of mantra, cliche, whatever. There's many ways into addiction and many ways out. There is no typical pathway out. Harry Shapiro is head of communications for the UK charity Drugscope. And, and some people, like I say, won't go anywhere near a treatment system, but might manage to get off the actual drinking or the drugs and then spend much of their time in AA or NA meetings. So um, there are several pathways that people will take and they'll they'll jump from one to another for someone who's become used to using drugs or alcohol as a way of coping with problems there's always a chance that if more problems present themselves that they have that there's a kind of learned behavior there and the way you deal with this in terms of coping is to you know go back on drugs or start drinking again one of the reasons why a lot of residential rehabs are cited well out of city centres, out in rural communities and the rest of it, is this idea that you know you need to be well away from your old haunts and your old habits because it's true, people do start getting cravings if they, some people do, if they walk past some alleyway where they used to shoot up a few years ago, it kind of all starts kind of coming back. We are becoming more and more aware that getting someone off of drugs and alcohol is only half the problem. The challenge for the long term means trying to target the very mechanism which has evolved to help us make sense of the world around us, our memory. Though brilliantly adapted to help us find food, a partner and to avoid the dangers of our environment, it can also be one of the biggest barriers to long-term drug treatment. But in order to understand the underlying pathways used by our brains, we need to start with something a little more every day. walk into a bakery and the smell of fresh bread hits you. Immediately it stirs up a thousand memories. You may not even be aware that the process is happening. You may start to salivate and your stomach may even start to rumble with hunger. But all of this is triggered in a flash, before you've even seen a loaf, just from a simple cue the smell of the bread. The smell of food is a Pavlovian cue. So the smell of baking bread, you walk past the bakers and you smell the bread, you're more likely to go in and, and ask for a loaf of bread. Dr Amy Milton is a lecturer and researcher in the Department of Psychology at the University of Cambridge. Well, there's no reason why that smell should be rewarding. I mean, you don't get anything from the smell, but because it's been paired with the yummy bread in the past, 
that means that um, smell has become effectively a conditioned cue. It's acquired some reinforcing value because you'll behave differently on being exposed to that smell, but also some motivational value because you actually like that smell as well. Without realising it, you are being conditioned by your environment throughout your everyday life. Your brain makes the link between the things that you see and the things that you do, learning to associate the cues from the outside world with a response and keeping a permanent record in your subconscious in the form of memory. So there's a memory for the cue, which we call the conditioned stimulus after Pavlov, and the unconditioned stimulus, which is the thing that actually has the motivational value, whether that's the bread itself, because that has the caloric value and the taste value, or in the case of drugs of abuse, the pharmacological effect of that drug. Barry Everett is Professor of Behavioural Neuroscience at the University of Cambridge. What happens when people uh, take drugs is they do it again and again and again in a quite restrictive set of circumstances. So if you think of someone smoking crack cocaine or smoking heroin or rolling up 10 pound notes to, to snort cocaine, but also the places where people do it or maybe the people that they do it with become always associated with then taking the drug and the drug effect. But even when people are abstinent, if you suddenly encounter those drug cues, they elicit memories of drug taking and they make you crave, they elicit craving. And both those things can lead to the resumption of the taking of drugs. So just as in the same way that you can automatically find yourself walking into the kitchen where there's a the smell of baking bread and you're not consciously aware that you've done that, that can also happen for individuals who are trying to remain abstinent. They suddenly find themselves, for example, back in a bar where you're then exposed to these alcohol cues again. And the more of those cues that are present, then the more likely it is that somebody's going to relapse. Each time the drug is taken, be it alcohol, cigarettes or narcotics, the links between the substance and the cues associated with it are strengthened in the brain, compounding the addiction. Andy, not his real name, is a recovering drug addict and explains how his addiction began. I guess through the nightlife, really, through people that I used to get pissed with and take coke with, and then some of those people used to form little secret groups within social situations and go off and be taking smack. And then, you know, being young and full of bravado, you're obviously really up for doing the hard stuff. I got to a point maybe for about six years I was taking heroin and smoking crack every day and, um, yeah, being a, being a fully-fledged junkie. And was it, um, was it more of a physical or was it a mental thing? Was there ever a sort of need to have to take it? Oh, yeah, it's definitely a need to have to take it, yeah, both heroin and crack. But, yeah, yeah, I felt a very physical need. But then after that, when, when it was the, um, the period I was talking about where I could not take it for a couple of months and then have a big binge, that was very mental. That was a huge mental um, block about it. And you'd be, you know, trying to justify to yourself that you, you could possibly take it very sporadically and, you know, things like that. But, yeah, there's a lot of mental trickery going on. But new research is emerging around targeting the memories linked with addiction. By focusing on the processes used by the brain, it can alter the subconscious record of events and might just be the key to cutting the link between the cues, the memories and the cravings. One of these processes is called extinction. By tapping into how the brain links a memory with a response, it's possible to create a new, better suited memory without the old association.
This new memory then takes the place of the old one. So extinction, instead of briefly retrieving a memory by presenting a stimulus, you present the stimulus again and again and again and again and again until the response to the stimulus gradually disappears. So that's used in cue exposure therapy, for example, to treat phobias. So in the same way you might treat someone with a fear of spiders, by gradually exposing a former addict to their cues, the association with a drug can be weakened. Like, um, if we take the example of an alcoholic patient, this could be something that looks very much like the drink, so the glass, a fluid that is the same colour, cotton pads soaked in the drink so that you have the smell of the alcohol as well. But it could also be um, particular environments as well, so if someone's always drinking in the same place. So those are the sort of cues we're talking about. So it could be as simple as taking someone into a pub but not getting a drink? Yes, I mean essentially in cue exposure therapy what you're doing is you're training the individual that these cues no longer predict um, the drug. Creating a new memory is all well and good, but what happens to the old memory? Now, extinction is very context dependent. So if you bring people into the clinic and extinguish their fear or their drug cues and it's been tried, when they go out into the outside world, the extinction hasn't happened there so those stimuli retain their power. And worse still, over a period of time, the memories have never been um, removed from the brain, so they can spontaneously recover and impose themselves on the individual's behaviour. Were you ever aware of any sort of triggers that would bring on the cravings and make it any um, stronger? Definitely. I mean, environment would be one of the first main ones. If you're in a place... I mean, I moved back to Scotland for quite a long time to try and end that part of my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I couldn't come to London without instantly getting off the train and going and scoring crack and heroin or whatever. Sooner or later, most smokers want to stop, and most drinkers want to stop, and most addicts actually want to stop. At that point where that's what they're trying to do, exert their will to stop using drugs, the thing that works against them are these things in the environment that creep up on them and make them crave and push them towards relapse. So intertwined are the associations in the brain between the external and the internal that they can affect how the body reacts to a drug. Um, heroin addicts who are used to taking their drug in a particular place and then take their drug in a, in a, in a different environment are much more likely to overdose. Dr Sanjeev Kambosh is a lecturer in clinical psychology at University College London. And that's through this process of learning because in their normal environment, some responses are being produced in the body independently of the drug being present. And these processes in the body tend to oppose the drug action in anticipation of the person taking the drug. When they're in a new environment, those oppositional effects, those antagonistic effects aren't present, so the drug has a much more powerful effect. Scientists used to think that when a memory was made, it was stored in a permanent form that couldn't be changed, like the text written in the pages of a book. But research over the last few years has shown that memories are actually more like documents in a word processor. They can be edited, overwritten, and potentially even deleted. When a new memory is made, the information is stored away in the brain in a stable state. But when this memory is reactivated under certain conditions, it can enter into an unstable state and can be updated with new information. 
Once the new information is incorporated, the memory is effectively saved and returned to the stable state again, just like saving the document after editing. This process is called reconsolidation. Cases that even these old and well-established, very strong memories are susceptible to destabilization at retrieval and the reconsolidation process. The memory is only unstable for a short period of time, and within six hours, your window for updating that memory should have closed. So could this be the breakthrough needed to tackle relapse in the long term? By catching and rewriting the memories in this brief window before they restabilize. If you take the memory in the unstable state and then you put somebody through extinction cue exposure therapy, you may be able to update that memory so that you actually overwrite the original memory rather than creating this competing memory. There's a really interesting study that came out a year, 18 months ago, published in Science. One study in uh, China, in Beijing, of heroin addicts, which has used exactly that procedure, where there's been a greatly diminished report of, um, of relapse. They brought them into the lab and they gave them a brief cue re-exposure session. So essentially exposure to videos of people using heroin. What they then did was give them a short break and then brought them back in and gave them cue exposure therapy. And six months later, they found that the response to the drug cues and the relapse rates were lower than in their control groups. If you put together those two procedures, so briefly present a stimulus that reactivates the memory at retrieval, then wait about 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes so that you're in that window of restabilizing the memory that is reconsolidation and then you undertake extinction you seem in fact to replace the original association with the new one and erase the memory but you know it's early days um, but um, it remains to be seen whether it can be uh, effective again in heroin addicts but also across different um, addictions although the early results are promising it may not be the approach for everyone no way not, not a chance, no. It all sounds a bit clockwork orange for my taste. No, I don't think I would, no. And I would, I, would, I would hope that a human being could do it without having to do that. At the moment, we're not bad at treating the short and medium term, but that long-term risk of relapse is something where I think there's a real opportunity um, for therapies to start reducing um, relapse risk. So these sort of pro-abstinence, anti-relapse therapies, I think would be a really, really good addition to what's currently available for treating addiction. Although the Chinese trial is the first of its kind, the results show that the method has potential for use in the real world, as long as people are willing to put themselves forward for treatment. This approach to targeting memory could break the links which lead people back to addiction, helping more people to get off drugs and stay off. It offers some hope that although the cues in the environment will always be there, the associations may not have to be.